Hey, Thursday morning, everyone. Doug Farrar, editor of Touchdown Wire on the USA Today Sports Media Group Network. As always, with Mark Schofield, our five-tool guy. And Mark, I have my copy of uh, Modern Single-Wing Football from the Princeton head coach from 1951 on the shelf in honor of Bill Belichick and whatever the hell that was. You probably didn't think you'd have to dust that one off again. I'm, I'm sure Bill was like looking through that copy. We're going to talk about that in a minute because Patriots are on a bye this week, but we have to dive in. Yeah, yeah, we talk. We got to talk about that. Woo boy. So buys for week 14, Colts, Dolphins, Patriots, Eagles. And of course, these are the teams we want to talk about. Right. Um, I started the Dolphins for a minute. Uh, they are six and seven. They've won five in a row after that one to seven to start. The defense, I mean, like everyone, Andrew Van Ginkle, yeah. Jim Phillips, Javon Holland, Emmanuel Ogba, whose name I remembered this week. Uh, the 2021 draft, those first three picks, Phillips, Holland, and, and Jalen Waddell, who's like the the yak disruptor of the league, not named Cooper Cup this year. They're six and seven. They've won five in a row after that one and seven start. And there's a drumbeat around the league. You get that passing game going and it's starting to get going. It, it and I'll, we'll get into the Bills later because they are playing this week. Uh, are the Bills the third best team in the AFC East right now? I still don't think so. I mean, uh, the Bills still kind of scare me in a general sense. Um, and I know we're going to talk about the game from Monday night, but I, I think I they scare me both ways. They're like the Chiefs, they scare me both ways. Yeah. I mean, because look, you know, on, on a normal night, the, the issues that the Bills have will still be there. The, the struggles thrown against too high and, and, you know, all the things that we've talked about, their inability to effectively run teams out of too high or even throw teams out of too high. So that's going to be a problem. Their lack of physicality is a problem. You know, Sean McDermott talked about that after the game. People talked about that going into the game. Coach, you asked, tells you, you know, you want to know who's the better team. Watch the way the line of scrimmage is moving. And mm-hmm. whether the Bills were on offense or defense Monday night, the line of scrimmage was moving against them. You know, and I've talked about it on here. I've written about it. Even though teams, even though Josh Allen's playing basically the same against pressure this year as he did last year, teams aren't blitzing to get it. He was blitzed the most out of any quarterback last year. He's blitzed like at the 20th highest rate this year, but he's getting pressured second most in the league going into Monday night. Teams are getting pressure with three and four. New England got pressure with three and four. And so, yeah, I mean, the Bills have problems. I, I just think that – Josh Allen could get hot in a game and they could win a game. Sometimes in the playoffs, it comes down to which quarterbacks do you trust? I don't trust two or more than Josh Allen. And the offense has sort of figured things out, but there are still reasons to be wary. I mean, it, it's heavy RPO stuff, which has been working, but maybe it doesn't work against some better teams and better defenses. Two is leaving stuff on the field. I mean, a lot. for a lot of the good decisions and reads and stuff that he's doing – He's missing on throws. He's missing on placement. I've talked about it. Seth Galita did a long thread about it this week where it's like, yeah, it's it's working, but it could be better. And so that's worrisome too. So right now, I still think the Bills are the second best team in the East. That could change in two weeks. But for right now, I still think it's the Bills. Uh, Bills were lucky that they had the Dolphins already beat them twice before the Dolphins got feisty. That That's yeah. a good thing for the Bills because I, I don't know. Um, whew. Uh, Josh Allen against two high, five touchdowns, five interceptions. Well, I wouldn't worry about the offensive line troubles. You know why? They got Bobby Hart back, right? They got Bobby Hart on the practice squad all as well. It's okay. It's all fixed. Yeah. Just meditating. Right. So 
Patriots run game against the Bills. Well, let's start with this. We're going to talk about DVOA splits, you know, first half, you know, weeks one through nine, and then weeks 10 through, you know, we're into week 14. So we can start to look at that. Uh, since week 10, the Patriots have the NFL's best offensive DVOA and the NFL's best defensive DVOA. Mark, it seems like we've been here before. Yeah. I mean, about, about I don't know, 15 different times. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's quintessential Belichick. You know, figure it out what you do in September, October, what you do well, focusing on that in November and December and into January. That's what they've done. They, they've the years they've had success, the years they've had these Super Bowl runs, these deep playoff runs. It's followed that sort of recipe where they get better. They start playing their best football down the stretch. Now, I mean, Monday night, I know there's this rush in our industry to sort of make grand declarations about a game like that after a game like that. You know, I, I think there are some unique circumstances about Monday night that might not be applicable three weeks if the, when those teams meet again. Of course. It might not be applicable in the playoffs if they meet again. But I think what is ultimately clear is that Bill Belichick remains the, remains the game's best sort of situational game planner. You know, he had a perfect game plan to win that game Monday night. And they executed about as well as you could have. And Buffalo still had a chance to win. I mean, let's not forget that Buffalo had a chance to win at the end. I think the wind played a part on two throws at the end that had they gone in a different way. We're talking, we're having a different conversation, right? The back shoulder throw to digs. If that ball doesn't move five yards to the outside, it's first and goal at the three. Well, if Dawson Knox hadn't turned into Jeremy Stevens, that too. And then the final throw where you have the double post, I think Allen, first of all, I was terrified they were actually going to play zero blitz on that pre-snap because Allen did a very good job. I'm watching it come to, it's one of those slow yeah. things that I'm watching it on TV and I'm going, no, 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 no. Don't. Yeah. And, no, and, no, you're the Belichick, but don't, don't do this. Allen did a very good job with his cadence. He went hard count twice. So it was like, okay, they're showing it, but are we sure? Yeah, they're definitely in it. I think he wanted to throw the outside post because, you know, as Greasy and Riddick were saying, he felt most comfortable throwing in that direction because that was directly into the wind and the ball wasn't moving. I think on you know, another night he's throwing that inside post because it's a quicker read, the quicker throw, and it's a touchdown. But because he decides to throw the outside one, you're bringing Miles Bryant into the pitcher and he has a chance to break on it. So it's an interesting point because uh, go into the because throwing directly into the wind like this, like straight on, as opposed to at an angle. If you're throwing straight on, are, are you saying that you still you have less of a disadvantage? Um, in the ball moving laterally, right? Because you know, Greasy and Riddick were pointing that out all night. Anytime Allen threw like over the middle or to the right side when they were going into the wind, the ball would move louder. Like the back shoulder throw to Diggs, he's throwing it to the right sideline, front corner of the end zone, and the ball moves five yards, even though he put everything he had on it. Yep. And it had velocity, but it still moved. But because of the way the wind was coming in from like, if you're watching it on TV, that bottom left kind of working that way, if he throws that outside post, it's more into it. And Riddick and Greasy were pointing out his best throws that night, the ones that moved the least, they still moved a little bit, came when he was throwing towards that corner. So I think that's why he made that throw. You know, I had a lot of people ask me, why, why did he do that? I think that's why. Um, but yeah, Belichick remains the game's, the game's best like situational game planner. And yeah, if they meet in three weeks and it's 35 degrees, sunny and clear with no wind, it'll be a different game plan. But Belichick will have an answer for that one too. 
I think the grandpa relations of they does that he doesn't trust Mac Jones or whatever. I, I think those go out the window. I think the, the clear lesson is, is twofold. The Patriots are the more physical team and they're going to remain the more physical team every time these two teams play. And that yeah. might be the difference. And Belichick remains so great at what he does. I wrote a long piece about that game in which I brought up Paul Brown. Yeah. Who was Belichick's outside of his uh, outside of Steve Belichick, his dad. Right. Paul Brown is Belichick's idol because what well, was Paul Brown? The greatest situational adjuster. Um, 1950 uh, Brown's move from the all American football conference to the NFL. Burt Bell, who was a guy from Philly said, okay, smart guys, you just beat up the AAFC. We'll uh, give you the two time defending champion Philadelphia Eagles in your first game. And Paul Brown said, Hey, these guys can't cover over the middle. We're just going to throw a bunch of, you know, crossers, beat them 35 to 10 and Earl greasy Neal, I love those old nicknames. We don't have that anymore. Uh, He compared the Browns to a basketball team. It was kind of like the old finesse-ass 49ers, and Bill Walsh used to get pissed off about that. Um, So in the follow-up game, (laughs) you how many times the Browns threw the ball? I guess like zero, yeah. Zero. Uh, I guess they threw two that were called – like they had two attempts but not official for some penalty reason. But basically Brown said, do not throw the ball. Unless you have to, and they didn't, and they won anyway. Um, the last time, it, well, Mac Jones's three attempts were the fewest since 1974, week three. Uh, the Jets came into then Rich Stadium in Buffalo. Joe Ferguson threw the ball two times. Namath threw the ball, I think, 19 times. He completed two passes to his own receivers and three passes to the Bills. Um, so the, the whole they don't trust Mac Jones thing, let's throw that out the window. Sean McDermott saying, let's not give too much credit to Bill Belichick. Don't do that. Don't, yeah. don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that because Bill's like Paul Brown. He, he will remember this and he will shove it up your ass somehow. We don't, yeah. we, we don't know how yet, but he will. Um, you know, a lot of people on Twitter, you know, they just had 4.8 yards per rush. They just had 11 first downs. Uh, the negative rushing EPA people were the ones who really cracked me up. Okay. Go back and look a couple of things about the approach. Um, you know this because I know you've watched the tape. The first two drives, the Patriots went three and out twice. I think they gained a total of four yards. Yep. And the Bills literally on every single one of those six plays had 10 guys in the box and a free safety. Half the time, the free safety is cheating up. They were bringing in like Bruce Smith and Cornelius Bennett to go in the box. Yep. Um, Daryl Talley, you know, bring them in. On those first two drives, it worked for the bills because there was always that free rusher, the, the free run defender, the free force guy that they couldn't block because you have Mac Jones and a running back. So you can only use nine in your, in your scheme. Bills have 10 simple math. Then in game and Belichick talked about this after the games so and Josh made some good adjustments. Well, what were the, when comes in as yep. the six OL and they start running, I with uh Jacob Johnson, who's become like my favorite player in the league because it's just hunt, 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 kill. Um, and from there, I don't want to hear about negative rushing EPA. I don't want to hear about 4.8. What I want to see is what they did, the two-play sequence. And uh, Brian Baldinger, who I talked to about this game with him yesterday, former offensive lineman, NFL Network analyst, uh, really smart guy. Uh, he brought up, and I, I went back and looked at it too, the two-play sequ- two sequence where Damian Harris ran 22 yards to the right on G lead, they flipped it, and then Ramondre Stevenson ran 11 yards to the left on G lead. Right. I don't want to hear about EPA. Yeah. That was dominance. And it wasn't just 
I would say it wasn't just dominance for that game. It was Belichick telling McDermott, yeah, you don't got this. And we meet on the 26th. You don't got that either. Because here's the other thing about that game. And, and Baldy asked me, do you think if it was situation neutral, they would have done something different? And I said, yeah, they would. I mean, running the ball is their offensive identity. But the one thing to the Bills' advantage is that we didn't see with three passes, we didn't see what that pass defense was going to look like without Tredavious White. We still don't know. Right. If it's 35 degrees and, you know, 10 mile an hour winds and whatever, perfect, you know, December game. I, I think with their route concepts and their receivers, uh, they're putting Levi Wallace in a big, big wood chipper. So, yeah. uh, you know, the, the myths about, I don't think it's a grand, you know, pronouncement for more than this game. Yeah. But I think the grand pronouncement is there is, there's Belichick and there's everyone else. And, yeah. and everyone else is, Second wind right now. Yeah. I mean, Tuesday morning, I'm at the bus stop with my kids and my buddy who lives across the street who coaches football. His brother actually coaches at Quince Orchard High School here in Maryland that just won a state title. Uh, they're second in like three years. So, I mean, it's a football family. Um, Mike's going to work and he just rolls down the window. Yeah, everybody's going to play until they get punched in the mouth, right? And he just rolls up the window and goes away. I mean, and, yeah, I do exactly. He didn't have to say it. I knew exactly what he meant. It, it was Monday night's game. And I think... You know, I did a video breaking down uh, for Pat's Paul, but some six of the, the the run plays, including the three G leads, three of the G leads at the end. But the the Harris touchdown run, as well as the G leads, we got to talk more about the interior of this offensive line in New England um, because you watch the Harris touchdown run. The reason why that is there is because of David Andrews and, Sha- and Shaq Mason on the backside yep. getting up to the second level. I yep. mean, Harris identifies the cutback opportunity, sure, but those two guys climbing up to the second level. Actually, on this one, no, it's Karras and Mason. Yeah, because um, let's explain the crack tosses real quick. Crack tosses, yeah. the receiver cracks in, the tackle pulls out, and your your play side guard and center go immediately up to the second level looking for a fight. Yeah, and on this one, it's it's I think they call it 39 crack toss week. That's what they call it in yeah. Patriots terminology. I know it was so weak side. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got so 39 is the blocking scheme. 39 is the run ski because nine's the hole. They, okay. they, yeah, they go odd even in, in New England parlance. So nine and eight um, are outside runs to nine is to the left, eight is to the right, okay. respectively. And three is just, you know, single is I formation um, tossed to the deep back. Okay. Um, and they run it out of what they call X close, which means Harry cheats down his split. Like he's four feet from the left tackle. So if he, that, cracks, he was yeah. right there. He was yeah. a little bit back and like an uh, almost like a mini H. Yeah. Um, so because he's on the line because he's the X. Um, he cracks down on the defensive end, which frees Wynn to go to the outside. Tackle goes, gets outside force defender, which in this case is the corner. Jakob Johnson, he comes and takes the weak side linebacker. You know, All those right. are the first two ones. Okay. And now mm-hmm. in this case, weak side linebacker is Dodson who's the third linebacker in their defense, who's barely played this year. That was the other thing. By going so heavy with 21 and six offensive linemen, they got Buffalo, a, a two-linebacker, 4 two, five team, to play with a third linebacker who hasn't played a ton this year. And they so, played like nickel on literally every single one of their defensive yeah. downs before so, this. So, that was, so that's the first element. The second thing is this. You've got a nose tackle. You've got Ed Oliver in the A-gap, shaded between Karras, the guard, and Andrews, the center. You've got to make sure he's handled. 
Karis does a great job before we even get into the second level, making sure that Andrews can maintain him. Then he goes up and climbs against Edmonds. And then on the backside, you've got Mason going up and getting, in this case, the, the strong side, the Sam linebacker, because it's a strength to the right, Milano. And so those two guys, the two guards, Karras and Mason, getting up to the second level to take on the Mike and the Sam, that allows Harris to then cut back because the play is designed to go to the outside. And if there's a crease there, because Jack Johnson got a hold of the outside if he wants it. Yeah, there's a crease there because Witten is washing down that corner and Jakob Johnson has his head outside leverage on that linebacker Dodson. So there's a crease, but Harris, his ability, his vision to see that backside cutback angle, because now you've got with guys getting washed out, you've got the Mike and you've got the Sam trying like hell to get over the top of that. And you've got the free safety single only deep safety trying like how to get to the outside because they see look there's a crease there we got to get this cut off somehow you got an opportunity to go backside on it and that's what happened and you know it's just one play but it, it was absolutely brilliant all around I could, we could go a whole hour on this but i could go a whole hour yeah. on crack toss and g lead but i don't i don't want to hear about 4.8 yards per carry 11 first downs or Minus and, and the other thing I is I, I really don't care. It, I that's have not it. What this game was about this game was about total and complete domination. Belichick saying to the Bills, "I have I have your exact number," because here's the thing: two and a half weeks ago against the Colts, the Colts presented a lot of these similar power run concepts, and the yeah. Bills had absolutely no answer for it. Then, yeah, they had two weeks to prepare for this stuff, and they yeah. knew it was coming. When you have ten in the box and a free safety cheating down, you know it's coming. so that's an i'm an analytics guy i wrote for football outsiders for 10 years in this case i don't want to hear it it doesn't matter it's not important it's not relevant to the discussion and i think there there was a lot of discussion after this game about time of possession if belichick's game plan was so great why did they only win time of possession by like three minutes i think time of possession you have to dig a little deeper in this game because i don't think all the time of possession is created equal in this one I, I haven't done the numbers yet. Maybe somebody else has or somebody else will. I'm curious to see what New England's time of possession was when they had the win versus when they didn't. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of that game was about, yeah, if we only have the wind for like a minute, a quarter, we don't really care. We want to make sure we are working the ball and owning the football in time of possession <laughs> game during those quarters when Buffalo had the wind at their back. There is I, no absolute I, stat to codify how to win in football, and there is no absolute stat right. in the situation in the game. Yeah, but I am curious about that. I started to look at it. I get the sense on a quick glance of like, yeah, the quarters when Buffalo had the ball, that's when New England really ran up time of possession. But, I, I mean, I, I just glanced at it briefly. I could completely be wrong, but that's the question that I'm curious about. Yep. Uh, we talked about that for a lot, and I knew we would because I just yep. saw it. Uh, thumbnail, Mr. QB factory reboot Minshew versus Hertz. Minshew played well. I don't think there's a quarterback controversy yet. I, I know Laurie wrote about that, um, you know, and she did great work on it. Um, Minshew did what you're supposed to do. And, you know, I, I think ultimately Hertz has the better arm. Hertz is the better athlete. Hertz offers you more from a run game scheme perspective. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to push back on the better arm. I mean, I, th- Hertz is more athletic. I'm, I'm going to push back on the better arm. I don't I know. I mean, somebody. The, the, two, the two touchdowns to Goddard, both of those were kind of underthrown. 
Um, I don't mean, I just didn't, I've done a lot of tape study of Minshew because I always thought he was sort of mis-evaluated. He's had some deep balls that are apps like 40 yards down, tight coverage, biscuit in the basket. So it's arm strength and arm talent. I'm going to, that's just my opinion. Yeah. um, I mean, you know, I could, I could listen to that argument that like, you know, it's, it's not as clear cut as I think, but I think just the general point is, Hertz is the guy with more upside. And I think, you know, going forward, you still kind of want to build around that. But Minshew made a case that, like, look, if Hertz truly isn't the guy, I could be. And, you know, I, I, think, guy, I could be the guy somewhere else. Oh, that too. And we also have to remember it's the New York Jets. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there is that little bit of context. Now, had Hertz played in this game and struggled, or when Hertz comes back, if he struggles, I, I I I would imagine there might be a quicker hook, given what you saw from Minshew. Um, but I I still think Hertz would be the upside guy going forward. Let's see who the Eagles play next. They get Washington after their bye. Ah, twice Washington Giants, yeah. Washington Cowboys. That's that's a couple of trips, not the Giants, but the, that's Washington. Washington and the Patriots have completely flipped their identities from man to zone, both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Washington to not equally great effect because they don't quite the talent New England does. But, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, our first argument of the podcast. Get, get that one. <laughs> uh, I, I obviously defer to you on quarterback stuff 99.9% of the time. But, you know. Yeah. It's just. That's just what I've seen. Yeah, no, no. Game pass work, and you can. Do- I'm, I'm just, I'm just a chucklehead with a microphone and a flavored water in front of me. I'm just a guy who writes crap that's half wrong. So there you go. Uh, two guys who don't know what they're doing. Welcome to our podcast. Yep. at Vikings. I think the Vikings' current journey can be summed up this way: Jared Goff, NFC Offensive Player of the Week, and I know you did three throws on this. Yeah. Uh, Goff has been afraid to make throws into intermediate and deep areas all season, and it shows both on tape and in the metrics. Through week 12, Goff had completed, get this, seven of 33 deep passing attempts for 212 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and a pass rating of 61.4. I mean, I would rather, I would like pair him with Joe Lombardi and just yeah. have, you know, although Joe saw the light. We'll get yep. later. Uh, against the Vikings, Goff had three deep completions on five attempts for 72 yards, touchdowns, no picks, and a quarterback rating of 143.8. Now, Goff was saved. I wrote about this play because Amon, Saint, Amon Ross St. Brown turned into the Lions' best defensive back on that last, the game-winning drive. Yeah. A couple plays before, Harrison Smith blitzes off the edge. Goff doesn't see it because he usually doesn't. And um, doesn't. Doesn't? Hello. I'm I'm an editor. Uh, Usually doesn't. Uh, I don't know where I went there. Early in the morning. Uh, Goff doesn't see it, does not see it, and throws up, you know, one of those vomit balls. And Bashad Breeland's right there going, yeah, bring it. And Amon Ross St. Brown knows he's not going to catch it. He's not in the right. So he tips it away. Uh, I love that St. Brown got the touchdown catch because he saved that game. Yeah. So I don't think this is any sort of referendum on Jared Goff is blah, blah, blah. I think it's where the Vikings are on defense, which is not good. Also, their streak of having at least a seven-point lead in every game this season was broken by the Lions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that tells you all you need to know about where the, the Vikings are right now. They're in trouble. And, you know, I think changes are coming 
Um, you know, talking to people that cover that team, I don't think they happen absent an embarrassing showing tonight, like tomorrow. Oh, but no, think, they're going to give Zimmer the year, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, unless they get blown out by the Steelers tonight, Zimmer gets the entire year. But I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think he survives. I think the questions are the bigger two questions are the Cousins question and the Spielman question. What's the Cousins question? Do you go forward with Kirk Cousins or not? Yeah. I mean, you probably have to because why not? Money. Well, because he's why not? Kirk Cousins. He's like fifth in DVOA and third in DYR. Yeah. I mean, but you're you're continually seeing this pattern where it's good, but what's the ceiling for this team with Kirk Cousins at the helm? Well, let, let's I think he's the perfect quarterback for this kind of coach. Yeah. Is a defensive coach, so you almost invariably Sean McDermott being the most recent exception. Defensive coaches want their quarterbacks to not make mistakes. Yeah, um, I think Cousins' floor has raised considerably in his career. Ceiling is is what it, it, it he's maxed it out. Good for him. Yeah, um, I I think on the list of Minnesota's problems right now, he's about eleventh or twelfth. Yeah, that's fair. I just wonder if a new GM or an end or a new head coach is like, this is the guy that I want to tie myself to. Uh, let's see what the money looks like, because that's always a thing. I mean, that's probably the biggest factor here. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Never mind. 45. Oh, my God. They screwed this up. 45 million cap, 45 million dead cap. Yep. Jesus. Okay, well, so, I mean, you've probably I, tied yourself to him for the next. And you know, it's not like you're tying yourself to Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He's he's not he's not Aaron Rodgers, but he's not Jimmy G. He's not Jared Goff. He's sort of in that. You know, he's not like right under Russell Wilson when healthy. Um, so then the question becomes, how do you? Because I think the issues will be on defense. Yes. That you have to address. Most, most I mean, is Devontae Adams tweeted out this week. Start paying attention. Start paying a lot of attention to Justin Jefferson. If you haven't already, if you have, pay more. Is he the best receiver in the league right now? I don't know if he's the best receiver in the league, but legitimate he's argument five. right up there. So you yeah. got that. You got Dalvin Cook when he's healthy, and he might actually play tonight. Which I, I, that, that's a I gotta save my job decision by the coaches. Yeah, it's not the way I'd go. Um, but well, look what the look at what the Cardinals did with Kyler Murray. It's like yeah. we can the Seahawks with Colt McCoy. We're not gonna rush this because we're yeah. doing our thing. Um, it's mostly on defense, and the extent to which Zimmer has not had answers for that is highly disconcerting because as I've said before, if Pete Carroll isn't the best secondary coach of his generation, it's because Mike Zimmer is. Uh, telling that Pete Carroll doesn't seem to have those answers either. So maybe secondary coaching isn't what it used to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you got to look at the secondary. You got to look at Edge too, because so, I mean, Hunter's a uh, question mark, and Everson Griffin is working through some things yeah, right now. So you have to address. Yeah, you can't you can't anticipate that. Yeah, but now you've got an issue at Edge too, and so you can certainly address those positions in this draft class. Edge is a you might get five edge guys in the first round. I mean, you could certainly address it there. You might get your usual five corners or so in the first round. So there are guys that they can add. But And that decision to let Anthony Harris go to Philadelphia, that seemed to be one of those things that really didn't work out for anybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're breaking up one of the best safety tandems in the game with Harris and Harrison Smith. And 
You're, so Xavier Woods, you've had some struggles in the secondary as a result of that. And obviously there's the Philly part of it, but yeah, that doesn't look to be a great decision in hindsight. Well, then I have to talk about invert cover too, if we start talking about the Eagles and I can't yeah. do that because I can't use those words in our podcast. Oh. Ravens at Brown, Mark, Ravens at Browns, Mark. I think the Ravens passing game is broken. Uh, yeah. I get, I get the pressure stuff. He's been, Lamar has been blitzed a ton. Uh, Greg Cosell uh, had the, I think his passer rating over the last three games against the blitz is like 9.6. Yeah, I get that. The routes are blah. I get that. He doesn't have consistent receivers outside of Mark Andrews. I get that. That's all true to a greater or lesser degree. I watched that Steelers game and I really tried to focus on the Mars process and it was really disconcerting. Uh, did you see the play before the Minka interception? He throws a little dump off to Latavius Murray, gains 18 yards. Okay, fine. But he had two guys wide ass open for either one of them was probably a touchdown because he had the safety split. On, the, on his middle reads, he had time in the pocket. He had a clean arc, 1976 Ken Steeler pocket, and he didn't do it. And the, you, you, and he has said this week, I'm leaving a lot of stuff on the table. And you're like, yeah, no kidding. Um, the Minka Fitzpatrick interception, that was one, you, you can never do that. Pass rush in your face, you're backpedaling. You can't be Jay Cutler. You throw it into section 236 and you move on. Um, but I think, you know, with all the... the 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 issues on defense with injury, Marlon Humphrey is now out for the year. Uh, that eight and four didn't look solid at all. And what are you seeing? Because early in the season, we were talking about, oh, my God, Lamar's seeing it. He's doing it. And that seems to have regressed to a really worrisome degree, at least from what I saw. Yeah, it's weird. Like the, the play you're talking about, the one before the interception, it's like the route concept is harder <laughs> than it needs to be. You know, because you've basically got a three receiver bunch to the left. You got the first receiver run through, and you know, Pittsburgh basically drops into what looks like cover three. First receiver runs through on the bender. Okay, well, post safety drives him to the, the, the backside corner. Okay, fine, that's covered. But then the next receiver comes in, what looks like it's just like a kind of a dagger concept where he's gonna be working inside out of dig, throw it. But then he weirdly like peels back and breaks to the outside where you've got the third guy running a wheel, and it's like why are you doing all that extra stuff? Just have the guy come across. And I think that was that. a play where JJ or TJ Watt gave him a huge gift by going and covering the flat. Yeah. And, and which so I guess I mean, the Ravens made up for by not blocking TJ Watt in a couple of plays. So that was a, you know, yeah. Um, I mean, so, the, the, so I think there's an example of, you know, them being sort of too cute with the route concepts. There've also been some route concepts where you've got guys trying to make reads and they're just like condensed next to each other. And like everybody runs a curl and it's like, okay, well, if everybody reads the same thing and runs it from a bunch, you've got a bunch of kids standing around a soccer ball on a youth soccer field. Like that's not the space in the game. Yeah, and so Roman has this curious thing. Now I saw this earlier in the game where he's running double verts down the boundary and then just a bunch of little inky dinky. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're trying to duct tape the plane as it's going down and you know, it, it's, I think that's part of it. I, I think Lamar's not seeing things right. And I also think that, look, this bevy of zero blitz pressures that he's seen now, like obviously the Dolphins game, but Pittsburgh did some of it too. Mm -hmm. It's really sped him up. Yeah. It's really sped him up to the point where he's not trusting anything. Like well, and that's what I'm saying to the field. point. I wanted to see his process and more specifically, I wanted to see it because I get the zero blitz stuff. Yes. But I wanted to see his process with a clean pocket. Yeah. 
and, and even from Clean Pocket, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's the stuff we talked about earlier the the year with Zach Wilson. When you've got those body blows of pressure, even when things are clean, you're like, no, I don't feel right. I don't feel right. That's what we're seeing. Zach Wilson, who, by the way, I'll well, Saints and Jets. We we'll get into that. I, let's go to that now, because uh, otherwise, going to talk about Urban Meyer, and I really don't want yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, Taysom Hill versus Zach Wilson. This game set the other quarterbacking back fifty years. Uh, for your own sake, Mark, I would say do not watch this game. Oh, no, no. I, I, I was... Although against the Eagles, Wilson looked to me a lot more like the quarterback who has a chance yeah. to is far less frantic, calm in the pocket. He took the shots that were there. He just looked more in control. And it wasn't, oh, we're not going to throw any of the – it wasn't just the, the two RPO plan. He had to make some some shot plays, some yeah. throws, and he did. He looked like a different guy. He did. And I'm reminded of 2018 when both Darnold and Allen sat for periods due to injury and came back and looked better. And oh, okay. I, I kind of made the case that, like, sometimes, look, you go through this, your, your last college season, the draft process, the combine, rookie minicamp, it's a whirlwind. Sometimes if you get a chance to sort of sit down, take a step back and realize, oh, okay, so this is what this game's all about at this level. Like, these are the things that I need to do. It can be beneficial. I think Wilson sort of went through a similar process now, having a chance to sort of sit, catch his breath and realize, okay, look, these are the things that I need to do. This is how I need to approach these concepts. This is how I need to approach and read out these coverages. I, I think he looked better. I, I'm, or I'm right there with you on on the Zach Wilson side of it. I thought, and that's against the defense. Darius Slay and a hell of a pass rush. It wasn't like, oh, it's yeah, the yeah. I mean, it, and Jonathan Gannon, to his credit, has mixed things up a yep. little bit. Over, I mean, say what you want about Sirianni and Gannon at the start of the year. I think those are two coaches that have done some self scouting and kind of figured some things out here as we gotten into November, December. But I think, yeah, Wilson Wilson's looked better. As Taysom Hill, how is he going to be able to throw? Like he's got the mallet finger thing. Like I don't, I, I don't get the whole Taysom Hill thing at all at this point. I just, no. don't. I, I'd rather see Ian Book out there. So if Gardner Minshew has it, is it mullet finger? There you go. So I just suck. Um, <laughs> Zach Wilson looked like the guy. I, I wrote a piece before the draft about which like the Shanahan index, like yeah. quarterbacks in order who, and, and Trey Lance is number two, Zach Wilson was number one. Yeah. And I know you disagreed with that and process versus outcome and all that. Explain to me one thing about two inverses. We're talking about the Eagles. Is there any example of two invert you've ever seen that doesn't leave a 20 yard by 20 yard hole in the middle of the defense? No, I mean, I think, you know, I'm sure I get people saying, well, the, you know, this safety is supposed to be the whole guy. Well, but no, cause he's over here now. Yeah. Is your linebacker? Sure. Is there like a, an invert Tampa where the linebackers, what the hell is this crap? I'm sure if I took the afternoon, I could find an example of invert two work. But you'd have to take the afternoon Mark. Yeah. That's and the problem. That's the problem. I, I, I know like there's an argument to be made that you're changing quarterbacks, eye angles, you change your receivers, eye angles, it's, it's moving parts that you aren't expecting. But the problem is, you know, it, typically it's done. You're showing single high cover three, something like that. Those guys come down, two guys drop out. That's kind of how you're getting into it. Like that's a lot of moving parts covering a lot of real estate right at the snap. And if you've got a quarterback that can see that, 
you're, you're in trouble. If you've got, it doesn't take a genius from a receiver standpoint to just get into a, a soft area and find some grass and make yourself available. And so I gotta get, I, I gotta get on the phone with some of my DB buddies this week. And yeah, I mean, what am I missing? I'm, I'm sure I know there's like benefits philosophically to doing that. Cause again, you're changing so many different eye angles and reads and you're making guys process stuff and it's wild, but it's also exploitable. Yeah. Uh, Jaguars at Titans. Titans, by the way, uh, we're talking about DVOA splits in the second half of the season since week 10. The Titans have the worst defense in the NFL. Well, this was their con- this was your concern about them going in, right? Yeah. It was going to be the defense. And yeah, in the first half of the season, it was like, well, seems like they're figuring things out on defense, and you'll know, get Derrick Henry, and you got AJ, and you got Julio. Like, this could be a good offense, this could be a good team. It's kind of falling apart. Yeah. Uh, so Jaguars at Titans. Uh, here's Urban Meyer benching James Robinson after fumbles, not benching Carlos Hyde after fumbles, saying it's his decision, saying it's the decision of the running back coach. Here's Trevor Lawrence saying, hey, we need more James Robinson <laughs> publicly. Yeah. Cue the office space. What would you say you do here, meme? I have no idea what the Khan family thinks about this, but between Urban Meyer and Matt Rule, the NFL Network put together the top tens, the top ten college coaches who should have stayed in college and went to the NFL. Uh, you can take John McKay out, take Pete Carroll out. It wasn't John McKay's fault, and in his fourth year, he got the Buccaneers to the NFC Championship game. Uh, we can put in Matt Rule and Urban Meyer right now. Yeah, so I think so. Uh, I have nothing else to say about that, but Urban Meyer is just ridiculous, and he needs to go back to. Yeah. Uh, he can be uh, Saban's next reclamation project. I guess. <laughs> the Nick Saban car wash, baby. Jesus. You're going to have Urban and Dan Mullen on that staff next year. Woo-hoo! Speaking of car wash, how about this? Uh, we know that uh, in the second, it says week 10, the Patriots have the best defensive DVOA. Guess who's second? I don't know. Chiefs. Yeah, they're coming. 27th to second overall, 30th to seventh against the run, 30th to seventh against, or yeah, 25th to like fourth against the pass. I, I got that wrong. Sorry. Uh, big improvement. Uh, has a lot to do with Chris Jones moving back inside. Melvin Ingram disrupting against both the pass and the run. Melvin Ingram has been a stud run defender for them. But when Daniel Sorensen, of all people, gets a pick six, you know you're living right. Uh, yep. Seriously, they dropped Sorensen snaps. Juan Thornhill isn't allowing anything deep. The cornerbacks are all playing out of their minds. And there's that honey badger guy. Yeah. It, it, you know, what if the offense continues to be inconsistent and the defense then propels this team back to like relevance? How weird would that be? That would, I mean, you know, it's because Mahomes is a horrible interception. Mahomes had like three years of the best interception luck I've ever seen. And regression has hit him like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Seth Galita tweeted about this today. Like, the problem that they have with the too high stuff is they haven't been yeah, able to run teams out of it. They haven't been able to run teams out of it. And they haven't been able to throw teams out of it because if you can throw consistently underneath, eventually they're going to have to drop that safety down to help on that stuff. Mahomes isn't hitting that right now. Um, you know, I, I think – it's weird, and it's another example, another glaring example of we don't know what we're talking about because if you would have told me back in August that we're going to get to December and the Chiefs' defense is going to be the, the thing that's carrying them to potentially a, a playoff berth and beyond, I would have said you were crazy. But but that's what we're seeing right now, and it's – Well, I, I, mean, I, I, I picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl. shows you how much I know. 
Browns. I mean, look, I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I was thinking yesterday when we do our, you know, post playoff predictions and all that stuff, I'm going to have to write a mea culpa on a bunch of stuff because there's a laundry list of stuff we get wrong. But I mean, I don't want to say that Mahomes is the problem. I, I think it's, you know, the interception luck and things like that. But a couple of weeks ago, we had the excuse that the defense was bad. So Mahomes is pressing. Now the defense is good. Can Mahomes kind of pick up his end of the bargain right now? Well, he has said, by the way, I didn't mention the Browns at all in Ravens Browns, which kind of tells you all you need to know. Um, Cause I don't want to talk about that passing game. Nope. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Mahomes has basically said he's going to be me and he's, he's. Well, he, no, what he said is I can trust the defense. I can trust the special teams. I just have yeah. to. And I don't know. I mean, he's been a gunslinger since his time as te- at Texas Tech. I've told yeah. this story about watching tape with him, and he's like, you realize you can't get away with this crap in the NFL? And he's laughed and said, yeah, well. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, Mark, who at this point is your defensive player of the year? Well, I mean, I know the conversation is Mr. Watt and Mr. Garrett, but I'm pretty sure you're going to make an argument for a third person who just happens to be a rookie as well. Yes, I am. Defensive rookie of the year. You can throw that the hell away. Uh, My defensive player of the year is Micah Parsons. And I have all kinds of reasons why I wrote a big piece on this. I think on Monday, Um, it's all a blur right now. Um, Outside pass rush. Now they get Randy Gregory back. Cowboys at Washington, by the way, they get Randy Gregory back. They have DeMarcus Lawrence. So the question is, how do they use him? Well, off ball, he is, I mean, let's start with the edge. He has like five different edge moves. You can't really consistently block. His inside counter is just nasty. Um, he's got that long arm and then, and then speed through. That reminds me of Von Miller. Where I think it would be interesting to put him is because as an inside pass rusher and then as an inside run defender, that seems to be the part of his game that people aren't really talking about. Then he's off ball. The Saints had one play. It was a Ty Montgomery run, and they had the – it was the center. It was the, the center, uh, Ruiz, and little Jordan Humphrey. They said, screw the double teams on the line. We are going to go up to linebacker depth and specifically double team Micah Parsons as, yeah. as the strong side backer. I don't know how often I've ever seen that. Um, the uh, the Jaron Curse interception – that was caused <laughs> Leighton Vanderesh adjusts to, adjusts uh, pre-snap Parsons to the slot where he's right over Kenny Stills, who, by the way, got released by the Saints, I guess, this week. Ouch. Um, Stills goes, runs like, you know, the little, like some kind of deep sail or whatever it was, 30 yards downfield. Parsons loses Stills and, and recovers with speed to deflect that ball. I made this point on the four down territory podcast, Luke Easterling on Monday. When was the last time you saw, because this was the thing with Isaiah Simmons the year before, right? They yeah. bring him in. They ask him to do five different things and his head explodes and they go, okay, we'll tamp it down. And Simmons is a great player. This is as if the Isaiah Simmons plan had worked. And this is a guy who wasn't an edge rusher in college because he had all those other guys and you know, whatever. Um, I don't think, especially in the second half of the season, there is not a more impactful defensive player in the NFL than Micah Parsons. No. And it's because of the way it's all the things he's doing. And then when you get Gregory back, you know, Dan Quinn's like, oh, no, I can really get weird. Yeah. I mean, you can see some packages where Gregory kicks inside. You put Parsons on the edge. I mean, yeah, he's he's been incredible to watch. Um, I, I know there are people pre-draft that said – 
his best NFL role might be edge and they've been vindicated, but I think some of the stuff he's done in space or off ball also vindicates those of us who had him as linebacker one because of what he does in those roles. And it's been fascinating to see. I mean, a lot of credit to Dan Quinn. I mean, this was a bad defense last year and there's more to them getting this ship right than just Micah Parsons, although he's been a massive part of it. There's Trayvon Diggs, of course, but I think Dan Quinn to his credit has done a lot of things like you said, he took a long, hard look at himself and what he was doing and said, no, I, I've got to do things differently in today's NFL. And, you know, as far as sort of assistant coaches of the year, I think he's in the mix. Sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, Watt, Garrett, Donald, whoever, um, yeah. you know, Trayvon Diggs is going to get some votes. And, yeah, sure. But uh, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a rookie come in and do this many things this well. Yeah. And, and, any series of positions like ever it's it's really the more i watch that saints tape because i mean he the, the he had actually a better game against the raiders just everyone ignored it because they you know the penalty the efficiency right. was so right. bad but you go back and watch that game and it's like and <laughs> i said after watching that don't ever run boot to parson's side so of course what the saints do it was like they run boot to the side and what happens sack yeah Ay. So yeah, uh, Washington. You good luck. Yeah. Uh, what do you see? For, we, you mentioned Dak and kind of the mechanics and the calf. Where are you with him right now? I think I think it's still an issue. Yeah. Um, he had a miss in the fourth quarter where he's got like Lamb on an L and like a deep route. It's like a two man flood concept, and it looked like he had to put everything into that throw, and he still missed it. And he's like really driving off that back right leg. I, I think the the, the calf is still an issue. Um, now, I also think, look, he's had sort of a mini buy now because uh, they played their Thanksgiving night. Um, you know, I think he'll be able to come back from that. But, yeah, yeah, it, it's worrisome. Uh, Falcons and Panthers, Matt Rule fires <laughs> Joe Brady. <laughs> because Matt Rule has a fixed number of rushing attempts he wants per game. Uh when I saw that as a Seattle resident, I got a little bit of PTSD because, yep. was, yeah. Um, besides the fact that it's stupid, the Panthers have actually improved an offensive DVOA in the second half of the season, up from 20th, up to 20th from 31st. The cam effect to a certain point, the defense has fallen back from sixth in DVOA in the first half of the season to 13th now. The offensive line isn't Brady's fault. The quarterback mistakes weren't Brady's fault. Christian McCaffrey out for the season isn't Brady's fault. And now Rule's going out there saying, well, I think Brady Christensen, maybe just don't get anyone with the name Brady anywhere near Matt Rule. Maybe that's Because they're going to kick him inside. Like, because he has short arms. Well, I compared him to Mitch Morse. Um, yeah. when I did the OL. And that's not to say that he's a bad player. I just thought well, he, doesn't, he doesn't move like a tackle. He doesn't look like a tackle. He doesn't really respond like a tackle. Um, I think he can be a fantastic center. But that's how you frame it in a public setting. Yeah. Um, and the line of people that Matt Rule is looking to throw under the bus is really kind of weird. Yeah. And I wonder if he, you know, that, that's another guy. Yellow. I don't know. You, you're hearing reports that Oregon and their coaching search to replace um, Cristobal, who's now down in Miami, they've contacted an NFL coach. I, I bet it's Rule. You know what my first thought was, Mike? What, what was if, that? What if it's Pete? That would be a splash. Well, I'd say we're in our next game. Seahawks at Texans. 
the Zach Cunningham thing. Um, here's a here's a pro tip: the more a team mentions culture, the less they have it. Yeah. Uh, the Zach Cunningham thing. They they sat him for, you know, David Coley mentions the word culture about a thousand times in that presser. They gave him a four-year, fifty-eight million-dollar contract extension in twenty twenty. Previous administration. The Texans will eat twelve point eight million in dead cap next year. Yeah. Cunningham didn't fit in Lovey Smith's defense because he's not a you know back him up guy. Yeah. He will clear waivers, and some smart team will sign him, and he'll become their Jawan Bentley. Yep. Guaranteed. Uh, speaking of guys who don't fit, Jamal Adams is now out for the rest of the season with a shoulder injury. I've said more about Adams and the trade and the deal that I want, except when I like to, you know, just rile up the Jamal Adams truthers who are trying to convince me that he's the next Troy Palomalu. Don't quit your day jobs, guys. We've been waiting on that for a long time. I don't yeah, think so. I'll give you this tidbit from Greg Cosell on the Ross Tucker podcast. Greg said, I, I, you'll find this interesting. Greg said that basically Adams is Kyle Duggar, except that Duggar can match up with tight ends down the field in man coverage and Adams can't. That was an interesting, I thought, okay, I can't wait to tell Mark this because yeah. you're, you're a Patriots guy. You've seen yep. Duggar. You love Duggar. Um, yep. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, I, I think there's. But the part about matching is absolutely correct. I know that. Yep. We've seen it. I mean, I can't do it. I also look. Duggar's in his second year. Yeah, um, from he's making less than a million dollars. Making less than a million dollars, and he's coming from a Division two school. And last year was supposed to be a redshirt freshman year for him. And so, if Duggar's one of those guys that like nobody, like a Quinn Miners plan where nobody knew about him until he hit the Senior Bowl. There was like by the bottom and like real does, but draft yeah. kit, draft Nick communities. Like, yeah, but I mean, it wasn't until he got down to Mobile and you saw both him and Jeremy Chin flying around. And it's like, yeah, okay, these two guys can play. Like they're they're going probably not day one, but yeah, they're going day two. Um, especially Chin, like the, the yeah. two of them look great. Um, but his rookie year was supposed to be a carry the club season, you know, and he had to play because because you know, Chun opted out. But the fact that Duggar is at that level already. I'm I'm fine with that as a Patriots fan. Absolutely. So you have a Jamal Adams. You're trying to build your entire defense around him, which his limitations put you in a box as far as the kind of defenses you can put on the field. Pete Carroll continues to defend the trade and the extension, saying that you give up that much for a player of this caliber, and there's no way you're going to get a guy playing this way right out of the draft, which I thought was an interesting indictment of both Seattle's coaching abilities and a refutation of Seattle's previous coaching abilities because they built the Legion of Boom on exactly right. those types of players. I, I think Earl Thomas was the only first-round pick uh, he was by a trade or draft or free agency. Uh, even Bobby Wagner was the second-round pick. Yep. Earl was the only obvious, and there were people who say he should have been a cornerback. Um, these hidden studs, you could ramp it up pretty quickly at the NFL level. I just, you know... <sighs> And you look at all these. I mean, the Jalen Ramsey trade, the Khalil Mack trade, the Laramie Tunsil. You give up this much for this guy, unless you can build your team around him, you're screwed. Yeah. And you're going to get fired, and you're going to earn it. Yeah, and that's what's coming. I mean, we, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks now that the triumvirate in Seattle is coming to an end. I mean, yeah. Schneider, Carroll, Wilson. Like, it just seems like it's, it's – Somebody's going to go. 
Well, I can, I can tell you, I know Mike Garofolo did the thing about, you know, Jody Patton's. I, I can, you know, not that I'm here confirming things, but yeah, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, Lance at Broncos. That thing we said earlier about Jared Goff's unusual confidence to the intermediate and deep levels of the field against the Vikings. Yeah, that's out the window this you week. You can pretty much X that out here, huh? Yeah. Also, the Lions are apparently ba- battling a flu bug in anticipation of their travel to the Mile High City. And these days, when we hear flu bug, we go, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so not. There, there's, there's that little tip. We, we, of course, hope and pray that it is not. But Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, Mark, I give you the floor. Giants at Chargers. Justin Herbert has been freed. Average depth of target in that game was, I think, 10.7. I will and- put a couple numbers. 17 to 35 passes of 20 air yards for 551 yards, five touchdowns, one interception, and a pass rating of 122.3 in the first 12 weeks of the season. By passer rating, he was the NFL's best deep passer. He was like 21st in attempts yeah. uh, against the Bengals. Five of seven deep passes for 189 yards, one touchdown, one pick, and a pass rating of 113.7. I will say this is the way it always should have been, and now I will give you the floor. Well, I mean, we said two weeks ago that it seemed like even in that loss to Denver, Lombardi was trying to marry vertical stuff with his stuff, given you know some half-field reads. Look, this is your vertical concept to the right. This is your quick game concept to the left. If you don't like one side come to the other like he was trying to marry the two it didn't quite fully come together against denver it seemed like it came together against cincinnati were you doing that kind of arians thing where it was levels to the right and the backside easy yeah it was stuff like that it was like like front side flood sale backside weak side option with eckler you know go flat slant flat stuff like that backside so it's like look if you like to look to one you can throw it if you don't like it come to the other you know especially when you've got that weak side choice or option whatever you want to call it you get that, you know, Eckler singled up against, a, you know, the Whitwell linebacker or whatever. That's an option with a two-way go that you're going to like. So, I mean, I, I can see stylistically how pairing that stuff could work. So, it's, yeah, it's Arians in a sense because Arians will have front side vert and back side stuff. Um, I also think that, look, Herbert has a cannon. I mean, he just has an absolute cannon for an arm. And it's and, arm talent. It's not just arm strength. It is arm talent. Yeah, I mean – the the burner concept where they go i was chatting with robert mays about this um who does the athletic podcast um we were talking about the deep shot on the burner to mike williams and i was telling him look where justin herbert's going he doesn't need the over you know so because nine times out of ten you see the quarterback on that concept he's going to throw the over out which is the shorter read the shorter shorter throw but herbert has the ability to hit that and on burner it's not a post, it's a post over. So it's kind of working away from you, but to make that throw to get it over the corner and drop it in, that's like you said, arm talent. But my favorite throw of his from that game was the RPO seam to Guyton. That was I knew, late in the I game. Knew, I knew that was it. Where, I mean, I, I got to tell you, Doug, I, I say this all the time. Whenever I see something mechanically, I will get up, I will pull a football off the shelf and I'll try to replicate it. If you asked me to do what Justin Herbert did on that play, where he's coming off an RPO fake, he drives his right foot. We're on video right now, so let's let's do it up. No, I mean, seriously, like the the ability to like drive that foot in and just snap like that and make that throw, it's unearth, it's alien like. I I just, you would be typing from a hospital bed for a couple of weeks, I'm thinking. I joked with Nate Tice, we were talking about that. I said, I dislocated my hip just watching it. Mm -hmm. Like, Seriously, that's how I feel about that play. But the weight transfer in a blink of an eye like that, that's that's special stuff. And so, like, 
it was great to see because a lot of us have been saying like Lombardi's going to figure it out. And, you know, some of us, myself, Nate Tice, others were saying, look, I, I think he's getting there. I think they got it now. And, and that's good to see. The biggest issue with, with the Chargers, though, is can they stop the run if they match up with, say, I don't know, New England in the playoffs at some point? Uh, well, they stopped the run against Joe Mixon, although the Bengals, well, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, the Chargers do have kind of a COVID thing right now. Could keep Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Chris Harris Jr. out of the game this Thursday morning, so we don't know. Yeah. Uh, Thursday morning, Pacific. Uh, yeah, so let's 49ers at Bengals. Kind of a playoff game for both of these teams. The Bengals' offense fell apart against the Chargers, but you've got people I respect, Dan Orlovsky, saying that Joe Burrow actually outplayed Justin Herbert. I would defer to you on that, Mark, but I would also say Cincinnati's offense is just off everywhere. Mixon gained 54 yards, scored a touchdown on 19 carries against the NFL's worst run defense. You have the deep pass to Jamar Chase where Chase tipped the ball to Mike Davis. It was yeah. like, what the hell? But you also had Burrow throwing a pick, a pick to Chris Harris in the end zone double coverage. I think Burrow's line let him down. I think his receivers let him down. I did not see the Joe Mixon I expected. I have no idea what to expect against the 49ers defense. By the way, has gone from 19th to third in DVOA since week 10. Hmm. Also, the Chargers had six sacks against the Bengals. They're most in a game since week 16 of 2016 at Cleveland. Based on the tape, that says a lot more about the Bengals than does about the Chargers. Bengals yeah, it, offense laid a brontosaurus egg. Yeah, and I, I kind of waited, waited in a bit to the Herbert. Um, Burrow discourse, and then immediately. I love Dan, but I didn't. I didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, look, I Olaski knows more about playing this position than I ever will, and he's incredibly good at what he does. The stuff he does with Ryan Clark in this week, Marcus oh. Spears, like that stuff is just amazing. Like, like, I love how Marcus just so, busted in and no, this is what. Like, yes, yeah. I mean, that stuff is really, really good. Uh, I respect the hell out of Dan. Um, and, and Burrow did make some really – the throw to Chase that ended up in interception, that was a great throw. Yeah. He had the deep out to Boyd on a third down. That was a great throw. But there were some mistakes too. The, the strip sack, he's got to get that out. Yep. Like the ta- the left tackle rides in a low suit like 10 yards deep behind the pocket. Burrow's going to get that out. He doesn't get it out. Um, You know, I, I think Herbert made some, mis- mis- some, mis- some mistakes too, but I was more impressed with, with Herbert's game. But I can understand why people might look at Burrow and say, yeah, he played better. But I, I think, look, there are some some issues on both sides of the ball right now with Cincinnati. Burrow could have played better if he – on that strip sack play, if he makes a throw, we might be talking about a different game. They had some turnovers. We might be talking about a different game. They had some issues on defense. They might be – we might be talking about a different game. And so on that day, I was more impressed with Herbert. I, I think the – Bengals have to figure some stuff out offensively. I'm not yeah. overly worried about it, but I do think that like, you know, it's, it's been interesting to see is, is chase hitting some sort of rookie wall. Is it a rookie wall combined with, I think he just had a bad game. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. that's you get into it. Like I think I almost think that was one of those burn the tape games where you're just like, all right, yeah. we, we completely hosed it. Let's just move yeah. on. Yeah. I think that's probably ultimately where this lands. Um, I, I do think that we are seeing Pittsburgh certainly, rotated coverage to chase they were like you were not beating us with jamar yeah. chase and Barrow was like fine i've got t higgins i'll throw it out and that certainly worked and so you know i i think cincinnati will be okay i mean you look at that afc north right now i'd rather not 
I'd rather not too, but I mean, we play this game every week. Maybe Cincinnati is still the team that wins that division. Well, I thought I, Cincinnati was the clear, you know, I thought they had a wide lane and then they just pooped all I over. Mean, I thought, I thought Baltimore had a wide lane and obviously before the season, I picked Cleveland. So maybe I should just ignore the AFC North. I am just wiping my hands with that. Doug, Thomas, Laurie, Barry. If you ask me to write about the AFC North, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> challenge accepted yeah exactly i'm gonna get a dm in like 20 minutes about ranking afc north oh not 20 minutes right now uh <laughs> this is live folks buccaneers right. uh you can say that antonio brown's three-game suspension for being stupid will affect tampa bay's offense okay to a point the real issue from that particular scandal is losing mike edwards the defensive back for the next three games. Edwards has played box free and slot. And in the second year that is a bit wiped out by injury, he was our best pass defender overall. So now you got Arian saying we might have to move Richard Sherman to safety when Sherman comes back. Uh, you know, there, there's stuff to exploit there. Uh, the offense is interesting. I was looking at the SIS splits um, and the passing game is better with Gronk on the field. Yes. The run game is so much better with Gronk on the field. And we talk about blocking and spacing and all that, uh, using 12 personnel. And, 20, what, and Leonard Fournette, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that Leonard Fournette was going to become Tom Brady's next James White, I would have definitely asked you what you were smoking. But yeah. that's kind of what's happened. And they can also, they can kick it with power. So the Bills may have another Excedrin headache here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do think that this game is going to be on ground more favorable for Buffalo than obviously Monday night was because, you know, you'll be down in Florida unless there is some sort of system kicking up in, in the Gulf. I don't think you're going to have the wins that you had Monday night. And then also, look, if if you're Brian Dable, you're going into this game and like you're certainly not going to want to run against that defense like we, we've you've covered that you've written about that. Like stop getting on people for not running against Tampa Bay and Vita Bay. The only thing I would say the Josh Allen and and that's another thing about the new England Buffalo game. I I was aghast that Allen wasn't used more as a runner. Yeah. 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 Cause what is New England's run defense been vulnerable to? If anything draws and delays. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Yeah. I I can see all that. The other issue is for Buffalo uh, you got, Tom Brady picking on Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson because, again, right. we didn't see this on Monday night because he didn't throw the ball. Tredavious White's out for the season. We yeah. haven't seen the fallout from that yet. Yeah, That, what I was talking about is Buffalo, the third best team in the AFC East. That's kind of where that led me. Because he's a yeah, I mean, player, and he's their best defensive player by a rather large margin. Yeah, and, and we might be able to say Monday morning, okay, yeah, yeah. After seeing what happened between these two teams now, after seeing Buffalo on more favorable ground for them and seeing what passing games can do to them without Tredavious White, yeah, okay, now we're at a level where we could say... My of course, given my predictabilities, Dane Jackson will pick off five passes. Right. I mean, it's it's been that kind of year, Doug. Yeah. Uh, I'm an idiot, guys. I don't need proof, Okay. Uh, Bears at Packers, J.R. Alexander is practicing and Justin Fields is starting. I don't really have anything else to say. I'm I'm just tired of Matt Nagy. Yeah, we're through. all we're all just I'm, waiting for Black Monday, I guess. Um, the Green Bay defensive uptick is a real thing. Yeah. Uh, they're definitely the second best team in the NFC. 
maybe the second best team in the NFL. The best team is playing on Monday night. Yep. Arizona Cardinals playing the Rams. I spoke with Zach Ertz yesterday for the pod. This guy sounds renewed. Yep. <laughs> you know that Kyler Murray is the most talented player he's ever been around. He called Cliff Kingsbury a stud. Uh, against the Bears, Murray came back from that injury, became the first Cardinals quarterback with two passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns since, guess. If you get Neil this, Lomax. If you get this, I'll Venmo you $100. Neil Lomax. Josh McCown, week 15. Oh, wow. I did not see that one. Okay. Yeah, I, went, I went too far back. My hundy is safe. They kind of worked it back into the plan. It'll be interesting to see how that manifests itself against the Rams, who, by the way, the whole thing about McVay has been the one debit. He doesn't adjust late season. You can get his number and you can. Now, it was a Jaguar, sure. Um, The Jaguars defense is sneaky interesting. They still haven't allowed a touchdown pass of over 20 air yards, which is kind of remarkable. Um, but the Rams weren't just running empty with three by two base and no movement. They had Sony Michelle doing stuff. They ran some six OL snaps that they forgot to pick up the delightfully named Dwayne Smoot on one of those plays and sack protection was better. Stafford had time to process what was out there. It wasn't perfect, but it was more like the McVeigh offenses we've seen. And I was encouraged to see, okay, I don't have Robert Woods. You know, I don't have the offense I want. So I'm going to d- deal with the offense I have. Um, I like the adjustments and here's what we do know. Arizona's defense isn't consistent. They're coming directly for your face. So it would be a good time to kind of go with that plan. Yeah. I I was rather heartened to see Matthew Stafford under center, to see some pre-snap motion and movement and some jet motion and stuff like that to see, you know, boot action, three level reads. It's like, a couple of weeks ago, Benjamin Solak at the Rainer wrote, you know, you got to use the Jerry Goff playbook now. Like, it's been fun. It's been real. You had a lot of fun with the shiny new toy. But now that you've taken around for a spin a couple of times, like, you got to, like, go easy on the clutch here. And you got to help the engine out. And that's what we saw. Um, you know, they ran leak the lawn play to, to Cooper mm-hmm. Cup. Um, the play action boot, we got Odell, as we thought albeit in a different sort of construction, the backside dig guy. Now he becomes the middle read in that three level flood. When you're running boots to one side. It's all good. You know, that's, that's how we thought they'd use him. That's how they're using him. The fade route, even though I hate red zone fade, it worked. Um, yeah. It was good to see Sean McVay adjust because that has, like you said, been the book on him. He's not going to adjust. He's going to do his thing. He's going to keep doing it. And once you figure out an answer for it, it won't, he won't adjust in time. Let's see. Yeah, Stafford had two snaps and empty. Yeah. They really dialed it back. Ooh, Lamar had Lamar had 12. Yeah. That well, actually, it was eight of nine for 92 yards and touchdown. Yeah, I mean, he's comfortable and empty. Yeah. Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff completed three of seven. I don't want to talk about Jared Goff. Taylor Heineke, Washington, he threw an interception. Uh, Jared Goff and Taylor Heineke were the only quarterbacks last week to throw an interception empty that's how that's how dorky we get on the that is how dorky we get on the pod match a pod uh i think that's all i have dr schofield anything else from you uh will anderson jr should be in new york city this saturday night that's i enjoy yeah please elaborate i enjoy that piece um first of all i do think this is a year i look bryce young is probably gonna win 
I, yeah. you, you win the SEC championship, you go into the playoffs as the number one seed. You're can we not compare him to Aaron Rodgers yet, please? Yeah, can we dial that back? Yeah, um, yeah. But. Now, look, I, I do think this is the first year since Sue where I'm ready to go to bat for a, a defensive player to win yes. Heisman. And I am still, as a Nebraska fan, I am still livid about that game. I am still livid about that Big 12 championship game against Texas. I remember the one and only time in my life I angrily tweeted at Chuck Todd. It was over that game, by the way, which is a fun little tidbit. Um, what did Chuck I don't know why. I mean, it was either, yeah, Chuck Todd was talking about how good Texas was playing, and I get, I, I just snapped. Um, but back to the okay. defensive player. Okay, Mark's dad, Alden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you and I. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, what, that's what we're saying, baby. <laughs> um, Aiden Hutchinson has, has, has had a fantastic year. He's, you know, obviously a finalist. Um, he played well against Michigan State, obviously played well against Ohio State, played pretty good against Iowa as well. I think like 13 total sacks. Will Anderson has better numbers. Will Anderson leads the NCAA in, totals, in total sacks. He leads the NCAA in tackles for a loss with 32.5, according to the NCAA's numbers. Second is Devin Lloyd, the linebacker from Utah, who's probably a first-round pick Mm -hmm. at 22. He's got 10 more tackles for a loss than the guy in second. And you can see him win off the edge. You can see him win on stunts and twists and all that sorts of stuff. You get the production in the passing game. You get the tackles for a loss. He had one of my favorite plays where he splits his own read against Mississippi and, you know, Matt Corral thinks, oh, I got to pull it and run that he scrapes off, flushes it back to the inside, makes the tackle. It's the other stuff <laughs> that he opens up for teammates when you're seeing guys like Dallas Turner get sacks because lines are shifting, sliding protections, doubling him. That's the thing, right? He doesn't he doesn't have the highlight reel that Aiden Hutchinson does. Where Aiden yeah, Hutchinson he doesn't, he doesn't have, like, like the Ohio State-Michigan State game that voters were watching, like, in the moment. And, like, yeah, you know, I'm going to turn on my ballot now. And so – you know, if Hutchinson wins, he's a worthy candidate, and I would be overjoyed for him. I think it'd be fantastic, and I think it'd be interesting that the only two defensive players to have won would have been from Michigan. I think that's a recruiting tool that Jim Harbaugh can use on the road. Yeah. Um, this this recruiting cycle, but I do think Anderson should have at least gotten an invite because his numbers were just as good, if not better. That the film was very good as well, very explosive player, and you know, I'm excited to see him next year. Yeah, uh, my favorite moment on Twitter regarding that particular game was. Our, our friends at Typico put out a thing. Who was it? You know, the best defensive player you ever saw in college. And my response was, and Dominic Sue asked Colt McCoy. And they somehow got Colt McCoy in his car. Yeah, so, I saw that. Hug, I agree. <laughs> Sue single-handedly put Nebraska in a position to win that game against Texas. And like I said, I, 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 I am flashing back to the living room with a condo my wife, wife and I were living in at the time watching that game and just, man, I have not seen anything like Ndamuk and Sue at Nebraska. I mean, I saw him play live. I mean, he was just, man. Well, my NFL comp for him was Joe Green. Yeah. I don't do that lightly. I don't. No. And it's a word. You know how I sweat NFL comps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But there you go. And now he's being uh, Warren Buffett-style financial advice on Twitter. Which is my, my, one of my new favorite things on Twitter is, hey. is that. Who knew? Yeah. Great to see. Who knew? Financial education is important. Yes, it is. Very important. Uh, especially if you're a Raiders punter or kicker. Exactly. Those guys are getting there. Those guys, those are, guys getting, are getting the bag. Just release all your first round picks and you have money to sign. Uh, never mind. <sighs> mm, ouch. Anyway. Uh, good stuff as always, man. And we will talk next week. Sounds good.